So on a football team, you've got all of these different players, right? Their job is to play football, unless you're a Redskin. And it's, it's like, it's like the... So, so they get out on the field, right? And that's the, we're going to win this game. We're supposed to make a touchdown as a team, but you got, everybody has a different role, right? So, so um, if they understand fully what their role is, then they can maybe accomplish the task, which is why we need a new, new coach, right? Um, but so one guy, so, so like the, the guy who was hiking the ball might wish he was a quarterback, but if he's 325 pounds, he's not as agile, right? Um, so, so everybody has a different task. My point being, the goal of that team is to win football games, but your task, your role on that team is going to look different from everybody else. And so as a believer, we all have a primary calling in our life. What that looks like for you is just as unique as you are, you little snowflake. Like just as unique as you are, just like, you know, God created you uniquely you. And I love this about Ephesians. So we're in this series called Made for More. And we've gone through chapter one and chapter two. We're made for something more. We're made to be more in chapter two. And we're made to love more here in in chapter three. And so I want to kind of get into this idea of, of our callings being refueled and fueling our calling and what does that mean for us? And so that's kind of where we're going. So here's, here's the first point, right? So as we look at the callings of every Christian, I want us to understand very clearly that every Christian has two callings on our lives. The first calling is this, it's your primary calling. And that is simply this, and that is to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's the primary calling on our life. So as we look at why am I here, like I, maybe, uh, maybe you came to Christ at a young age, maybe just recently, maybe you're not even there yet, and you're, and you're thinking, okay, I'm not sure about this following Jesus. By the way, you can be a Christian and not follow Jesus. Ow, right? But our primary objective, our primary calling is to be a disciple who makes disciples. Because honestly, if a, if a disciple is somebody who is doing what Jesus did and learning from Jesus' example, Jesus made disciples. So once you are making disciples, now you're a disciple. Because a disciple is somebody who makes disciples. That's another sermon for another day. Um, but that's our primary calling. Our secondary calling is what we all want to know, right? We all want to know is how we fit into that. that that's, our, that's our one of a kind masterpiece mission. So we read in chapter two where we are his workmanship, also the word masterpiece. And we have been created in Christ Jesus, he said, unto good works. So we have been designed, we have been created to accomplish something specific for the kingdom of God. That's our secondary calling. Here's what's great, right? We all want to know what our secondary calling is. But our secondary calling falls under our primary calling. So we have to understand that our secondary calling is to accomplish our primary calling. So if you're good at this, like fill in the blank, this is what your calling is, the purpose of that is not that. The purpose of that is to make disciples. The purpose of that is to be a disciple who makes disciples. So whatever your secondary calling is, it falls underneath the primary calling of who God has made every one of us to be, and that is a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples. So Paul starts us off here in chapter 3 with this thing. He's talking about his, his, um, his being in prison. He says, he says, a prisoner, so he says this, for this cause, 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So you have to go back into verse two and kind of read before you get to verse three. But what he's saying here, he's like, he's like, I am in the place that I am in right now because God has called me to reach the Gentiles. And then in verse two, he, he emphasizes the point. He says, this God gave me this mystery. He's talking about, but God gave me this message for you. Whatever Paul is trying to give to them, he is saying, God gave me this for your benefit. I'm, I'm supposed to communicate this to you. In verses six and seven, he, he clarifies it for us a little bit. Because I know it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit uh, foggy right there. In verses six and seven, he says that the Gentiles, so, so just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, the Gentiles are anybody who wasn't a Jew. They're, they're not an Israelite. And so... Um, for thousands of years, the, the Israelites were um, God's people, and they felt like it was so exclusive. But if you go back and read, it's like, it's like God called Israel to bless the whole world. Like it, so, 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 so God said, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you, and, and from you will all the world be blessed. I think ultimately that was Jesus Christ. But what seemed to happen was it became a very exclusive relationship to where, like, it's only about us and God, like us Jews and God. That's it, right? And, and, and everybody else was excluded. But I believe all along God meant for all of this to happen. So he sends Jesus. Jesus dies not for just the sins of the Israelites but for the whole world. And now he calls Paul to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. So that's, that's the differentiation here. So he says this. He said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. He said, so this is not exclusive anymore. This is for everybody. And this is, this is who I am called to be. Whereof I, am made, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So he said, he said I just want you to let you know, this is why I'm here. God has called me, God has gifted me, God has given me this ministry, this mystery to be able to reach the Gentiles. Paul identifies his primary calling was to be a servant of the gospel, to be a disciple who makes disciples. But then he says, my secondary calling, my specific way that that happens is to reach the Gentiles. I am called to reach these individuals. So here's the thing, we all want to know what our second calling is. So, so let's, just, let's just say it's a given that all of us have the same primary calling. If we are followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be a disciple making disciples. But the question is, what is my secondary calling? So we have this, this little acronym that we created called GPS. We're going to use a GPS. That was more clever than you're giving me credit for. We're going to use a GPS to figure out what our secondary calling is. And here it is. First of all, G stands for our gifts. Like, how has God gifted me? How, how, what, what, how has God? So, so these God-given gifts and abilities and possessions that I have have been given to me for a specific purpose. And that is the service of others. So God has gifted me things and abilities and possessions for the service of others. Paul made sure to tell them about his giftings. 
In verses three through five, he says this, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. God gave me this information, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God had revealed to Paul something special to give to them. So the question is, like, like what have I been given by God for the benefit of others? Like everything? What can I do? What have I been given that I can do? What abilities do I have that can be used for the service of others? What have I been given? What do I know that can be used for the service of others? Now, okay, so silly illustration, all right? Um, so I have for a long time wanted to buy a Yamaha backup generator, the 2,000-watt generator, right? So I already have a 10,000-watt generator for my house, but I need a 2000 watt because they're quiet and cool. And I'm thinking like redundancy is a good idea. So in case the, in case it breaks down during the first wave of zombie attacks, I will have it as a backup for the second wave of zombie attacks. And so I have this generator. Well, it's been in my, on my wish list on Amazon for about a year. It was on my wish list for about a year. And then Stephen called me up one day. This was a couple of years ago. He goes, hey, do you know anybody that has a, a generator, one of those small, quiet generators that we could use for the Young Life 5K? I'm like, it'll be here in two days. <laughs> That's all I needed, man. Just, just tell me you need it. I'm flipping that switch, baby. And I got the Yamaha instead of the Honda because the Yamaha has the fuel shut off. And if you know anything about engines, you don't want gas sitting in your carburetor, so you shut it off, let it all run out, and this thing is going to last me forever. So, like, I have this Yamaha generator now. I'm super excited about it. Every, it's got about 35, 40 hours on it. Every hour that is on that was either for Young Life or Virginia Hills Church. Like, it's never actually powered anything at my house. But I have it, which makes me feel good, right? That is something that God gave to me <laughs> that is for the use of whoever else, right? I, but there's so much of like, in our lives, that's how we should look at things. Like my car, my house, my abilities, my, my knowledge, my, my time, whatever God needs, it's his anyway. So he is welcome to you. So what has God given you? And, I'm, and I know we're talking about things here, but what about what abilities? What can you do? Like, what is, what is it that you can do? What is it that you know? What is it that you have that God can use? So that's an indicator. How do I find out what my secondary calling is, all right? What gifts have you been given? Second of all, the P stands for your passion. So what passions do you have that God can use for the kingdom of God? Paul made sure they knew his passion. In verse one, I'll remind you, he said, for this cause, I'm in jail. Like I am a prisoner of, the, of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I'm here because of how much I love you. I want you to hear the passion in my voice as I write this to you. I wanna make sure that it's clear to you that I'm here to serve and reach the Gentiles. And after he encountered Jesus Christ, his whole life flipped and he became passionate about this. So what passions do you have? Passions are like directional arrows in our life 
They point us in the right direction. So here's the thing. You are who you are. You like to do what you like to do for some reason. So how can that be used to benefit other people, to be used in the kingdom of God? And you may see it as a hobby. You may see it as some selfish way that you kind of unplug but let's rethink this. Let's, let's at least consider the fact that what you are passionate about could be something that God uses for the furtherance of the kingdom. I pulled up here one day and I saw Steve Rolfs out here and his uh, Mustang was jacked up. It's, 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 it's normal position is on a jack. Um, so I, I, I pull up and he's got his Mustang jacked up and he's working on it. I thought it was kind of strange that he was working on the car here in the church parking lot. But hey, he's Steve. He, you know, Steve does stuff like that. So I pulled, but then I pulled around and he had a middle school boy with him. And he was showing him how to work on the car. How about that? Like, why don't you take a kid fishing? Like, if you're passionate about something... Why don't you look and see, all right, how can I use this to help somebody else? We got enough single mamas around here that would love to have a father figure in their kid's life teaching them how to do stuff. Like, how awesome would that be? Like, if you felt God could use what you're passionate about, if you like to quilt, if you like to, to paint, if you like to do, what, what do you enjoy? What is God Put inside of you, what passions do you have? Does this like turn a light on for you? Does it, does it make you think, wow, there, there's something that I know how to do, that I love to do, that God could make into something beautiful here. So, so our gifts are a way to determine what, what our secondary calling is. What I am passionate about is something that you already love to do. So what can we do with that? to benefit the kingdom of God. They are directional arrows in our life that help point us to where we can be used. I don't think it's a mistake that you like to do what you do. I don't think it's a mistake that you enjoy that part of your life. And what I'm hoping is that you just take some time today to say, all right, God, point it out. Like, what is it? What have you given me? What are my passions? What can you use for the kingdom? If I am called to be more, am I am called for more in my life? When does that journey begin? All right, let's see which way. Oh, I really enjoy this. I like to do this, so maybe I can take a step in that direction. So your gifts, your, your passions, and then, and then your story. You have a story that nobody else has. You have, you have experiences that wounded you deeply. You have, you have relationships that, that injured you. You have, you have wonderful things that happened in your life. You're good at something. You have, you have been gifted, you have been given a passion, and you are full of stories. And those stories are to help connect us with other people. This excites me so much, because I'm thinking, all right, so, so imagine what could be unleashed 
if we began to understand that our stories aren't a mistake, that God can redeem anything, and God can redeem that story and use it in the present tense. Like you can bring that story into a conversation and connect with somebody else. I was in Boston, Massachusetts, like 20 years ago. And I was there to, to, uh, to, I was from Texas, and I was there to speak at a church. And it's, I'd gotten in late, and I was, they had me staying. They had, they had converted the attic of this old church building into a little apartment, and I was staying up there. So I went down to get a steak sandwich from across the street, <clears throat> and I'm just talking with a person who's from Texas. And we just start talking about the gospel. I invited them to church, and we're just having, the, there was no mistake in that conversation that I was from Texas. And you're like, yeah, but that's just a, all right. But at least, at least that was a story that I could tell. There was something in my life. There are other occurrences in your life that have happened that is your story. I got an email yesterday from a fella from Germany that, that a friend of mine knows him, and he said, I understand that you have been through this, and I'm really struggling with it right, with it right now. Any advice you might can give me would be very much appreciated. And I emailed him right back, and I said, absolutely, I would love for God to use that story of my life right there to help somebody else. Because so many times I've said to myself, like, that was a waste. But if God can use that to help this gentleman, that's what I'm excited about, right? And maybe I can introduce him to some other people who have been through the same thing. Whatever it is in your past, whatever your story is, let God redeem that story and use it to help somebody else. You can connect with them. Why? Because of our primary calling to be a disciple who makes disciples. And you can't make disciples if you don't know them. And so stories help connect us with other people. And let me be very careful here. I'm not saying that your hurts were only designed to help somebody else. Because I'm, I'm cynical enough to think, well, then why did God hurt anybody, right? Like, why would God hurt me just so I could help somebody else who's being hurt? There's a lot more to that story. So I'm not saying that that's the only good that can come out of your story. It helped make you who you are for a reason. But God can use that story to help connect you with somebody else. And Paul made sure they knew his story. Verse 2 said, you have heard. He said, I, he said, I want you to know, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, where God gave me this for you, I'm sure you heard about that. That's what he's saying. So we have this primary calling. We have this secondary calling. And we discover our secondary calling through our gifts, our passions, and our story. So will you at least struggle with that a little bit this afternoon? Will you, will you at least say, all right, what have I been given? What am I passionate about? What stories can I tell that God can use for my primary calling of connecting people with Jesus Christ? Or, or, or as it is in heaven. Like this is, this is bringing God's kingdom here. That's what I would love to see. And that's what's, exci that's what's exciting to me. To think about a church understanding the fact that the calling on our lives is not about Sunday. It's not about coming here and being encouraged and going home with no changes made. Your calling is out here. 
Your calling, your, your, your calling starts with your Monday walk. When you go to work and the relationships that you build and how you treat the, the cashier and how, you, and, and how you talk to this individual and, 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 and being that person that God can use everywhere you go. But what fuels this calling? So, so um, Paul changes two-thirds of the way through this chapter going from here's what we're called to do and, and here's how we can determine what our calling is. And he says, now, now that calling is not going to last very long if it's not fueled by the right fuel. So, so what is the fuel that causes our calling to flourish? Is it fear? Like if I don't tell people they're gonna go to hell, if I don't, if I, God's gonna be angry with me if I don't fulfill my calling, I'm gonna disappoint somebody if I don't say yes. Is that a fueling? Is that a, is that a fuel that will last a long time that, that will cause your calling to flourish? I don't think it is. Because eventually you're just going to run out of gas. Like there's only, like, like fear is not a great motivator for the long haul. I don't think it's a long-lasting, a long-lasting motivator. I don't think that fear is a, is a sustainable fuel for our calling on our life. I don't think guilt is either. But that's what I grew up with. My Christian life was all about you have to do more you have to be more, you have to do more than you did last year, and it was guilt-driven. And guilt is a horrible motivator. How does that work with your relationships? Well, if you really love me, that's such a weak argument, right? I mean, that's such a weak argument. If you really loved me, it doesn't work in my relationship with Melissa, Right? It, guilt and fear are very, very poor motivators and they don't sustain your calling. Huh, but love is. Love is a great fuel for your calling. And Paul wants us to live into the fullness of who Jesus is and use that as the motivation for our calling. He says this in uh, Ephesians chapter three, verses 16 through 19, it says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Here's what's so incredible. Like this, this fuel that we have as a believer is already inside of us. Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us. And it says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of that love. And then it's a, this is so, this is great to me. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I want you to know something that you're never gonna be able to completely know. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me tell you, God is not concerned with a data dump of biblical knowledge. I'm not opposed to knowing more about the Bible. But if your focus in your Christian life is just to learn more and gain more knowledge, you're missing out. I think what God's primary focus is, is the fullness of the love of God. Because then that becomes the fuel for everything else that you do. Because a heart that is full of the fullness of the love of God, he gives three metaphors here. The first metaphor he gives, he said, it's like being rooted. 
And when you have a healthy root system, you're going to have a healthy tree. And a tree that has a healthy root system can grow just about anywhere. A few Mondays ago, Melissa and I took a half a day off, and we went over to West Virginia, and there's this lake there, and it's kind of a state park. So we go over to Trout Pond, and we're walking around Trout Pond, and there's these big rocks that are like sticking out of this, uh, of this pond, and they kind of come together, and there's like this crack in between them, and there is probably a 15-foot pine tree growing out of the middle of that thing. All by itself, nothing else around it. It's got a, it, but somewhere, its roots took, right? So it's got, it's getting nutrients and it's growing on the middle of these two rocks that come together. A tree can grow about anywhere that's got a good root system. And when we are rooted in the love of God, it's like we can grow about anywhere. Then he also says this, he said it's grounded. It's rooted and grounded. That's more of your foundation. And your Christian walk, your calling is as strong as the foundation that you have. And then I'm going to use this metaphor because he talks about the height and depth and length and width, and, and I'm, I'm going to say the ocean. Like I feel like, like the love of God, it's like this ocean that you can't fully comprehend. Every time you start to kind of feel like you know what it's about because maybe you're standing on the shore and you can kind of see a ways, maybe you kind of understand it, but there is something that is so awesome about the ocean that we have. Only 10% of the ocean floor has been mapped by sonar. Only a third of life forms living in our oceans have even been discovered. Now, here's what's crazy. I don't even know how they figure that. Like, if you don't even know how many there are, how do you know you got a third of them? They're just guessing at everything else I guess at too. But it's like, from what National Geographic says, a third, all right? 97% of all the water on the earth is found in our oceans. And 99% of all biologic life is found in our waters. There is something vast about this love of God that we cannot comprehend, but Paul wants us to understand it. Paul wants us to know it. He wants us to live in it because it's this never-ending source. And when I'm rooted and grounded in the love of God, amazing things happen. But I'll tell you what, when I'm not, when what I do for Jesus and what I'm doing in my life is not rooted and grounded in the love of God, the worst of me comes out. My insecurities, my impatience, my self-centeredness, my fears, everything in my world gets sucked into the vortex of my own selfish living, my worries, my scheming, my efforts, and my identity. Tim Keller said this. He said, when our work is our identity, then success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. How true is that? The love of God is the only motivation that can keep my calling from becoming all about me. But here's the thing. When I can embrace that love, when I can live fully into the love of God, when I am rooted and grounded and lost in the ocean of God's love, when I can embrace that kind of love, I have nothing to fear. Like when I, am, when I am in that place, I have nothing to fear. There's no shame there. Well, what if God found out that about me? Too late. 
He already knows. There's nothing that you can do that he didn't already know you were gonna do when he decided to love you and send his son to die for you. Everything about you was already fully known by God when he's like, oh, I love that girl. And I love that fella. Like I, I'm willing to give my son to win them back to myself. He knew all about your stuff. And here's what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What in the world? How do we deserve that? How do we deserve a love like that? And when we live in that love, you're not perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna disappoint people. But there's no condemnation there. There's no shame Look at Paul, look at Paul. So, so he goes from being this person who persecutes believers. He watched them get stoned to death. He imprisoned them. He took children away from parents. He took parents away from children. He, he did everything he could to stamp out the cause of Jesus Christ until he met Jesus and that changed everything. But you gotta wonder, like how did he wrestle with what he had done in his past? No self-doubt. You are deeply loved with nothing to fear. Did you know that there are 365 fear knots in Scripture? One for every day of the year. So that's your next task, to find them all. So I have nothing to fear. When I can live into that love of God, I have nothing to hide I am fully loved. It means everything about me is known. It doesn't happen often, but a lot of times Melissa and I'll be talking and I'll say, I didn't know that. I'm not saying like I know everything. I'm saying about her. Like we'll be talking and I'm like, well, I didn't know you didn't like to do that. What's the matter with you? Because I assume she should like everything I want to do, right? It's like we're still figuring out each other. It's been 30 years. And we're still like learning. God already knows everything about you. There's no, aha, oh, wait, what? Like I didn't, I, I would have, oh man, I would have loved you if I hadn't known that about you. God knows everything about you. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to hide. So God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden every day, right? And then they eat the forbidden fruit. And then God comes looking for them. And what are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding because of their sin. They're hiding because of their shame. They know. He's like, who told you this? Like, who told you that, that you had to hide from me? Man, love causes us to fully live into who we are in Jesus. There's nothing about me that God doesn't already know. There's so much freedom in this. Now, let me make sure I'm clear. I'm not saying it's okay to go out and just sin and God's gonna love you the way you are and all that. Yes, he's gonna love you, but it's not okay to go out and sin. Like, I think that in this relationship, in this love that we have, that we are living into, there is this, there is 
this overwhelming desire to to please him and to, and to do the right thing and to, and to live in such a way that when we do sin, we're looking for a way to get right. Again, like any relationship you have that's meaningful to you, you could be go along just perfectly fine and then something is said or something was misunderstood and all of a sudden there's an awkwardness in the room, right? It's like all of a sudden you're like, what just happened? What just happened? I don't feel the same way with you as I did just a moment ago because something entered into that relationship that has affected that relationship that needs to be taken care of. That feeling that you have with another individual when something enters in and all of a sudden there's this awkwardness, that's what it's like when we sin because we have this beautiful fellowship with God and then we do wrong and it's like, oh, ah, I need to get that taken care of. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we are, we're good just to keep on doing what we know is wrong without it affecting how the relationship with God feels. But he has forgiven, right? He, all of your sins have been taken care of on the cross, the ones that you haven't even committed yet. But here is the solution. First John 1 John 1.9 says like, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice he didn't say, if we sin, because he knows we're going to, right? So, so you could say, when we sin, and then if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what does it mean, like, to repent? What does it mean to confess? Because confess and repent are interchangeable in Scripture, scripture many times. I read a book recently by J.D. Greer that really helped me with this. And here's was the, here, here was the phrase, and I wrote it down, and then I took a picture of what I wrote down so I could keep going back to this, because he said this about repentance. He said, he said, repentance is not the absence of struggle. Did you hear that? Repentance is not the absence of struggle. Repentance is the absence of settled defiance. Like, I know this is wrong, and I'm going to keep doing it even though I know God doesn't want me to. That's not repentance. But when we repent before God, it is like, man, I am so sorry. And I'm going to try and change direction here. I'm going to try and remove that. I'm going to try and, and get out of that spot. But he has made a way to get out of it. Like, and when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We just have to acknowledge it. And how sweet is it when you get something right with somebody, right? How sweet is that when things are back to the way that they were? And that's what God wants for us. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to hide. And we have nothing to prove. When we live in the love of God, who we are, what is in us, we have nothing to prove. I don't have to show you what I can do. I don't have to live my life comparing myself to everybody else. God loves Eric. He loves me. He doesn't love my accomplishments. He doesn't love what I can do for him. He doesn't love my mannerisms. He's not impressed with my astonishingly good looks. He is, there's a good reason for that. He is not, he is not in love with that. He's in love with me. And when I am dwelling in that love, I have nothing 
to prove when I feel fully loved by God and when I embrace that love and I'm rooted and grounded in it, it becomes the spring of life for other people. And as I am rooted and grounded in the love of God, then my, then my life grows and begins to bear fruit. It provides shade for those around me. And it's a place of rest. That's who I want to be. I want to be a refresher. I want to be somebody that, that breathes life into my relationships. But where does that fuel come from? Where is the nutrients for me to grow? It's the love that I feel from God. John 10, 10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I get life from God. He is giving me this life. The word abundant means it's overflowing. So I'm being poured into continually. And if I'm poured into continually, I should be pouring out of continually. Because if all I do is receive and there's no outlet, I become stagnated and selfish. And if everything God has given me and everything that I'm passionate about and everything that, that every story that I have to tell, if it's only about me and what it is in for me, we stagnate ourselves. But this life that we've been given, this calling on our life to love is because of the love that we have received. And when we are full of the fullness of the love of God that can't be measured, that is unending, we have plenty to give away. You've been loved to give love. That's the calling on our life. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And I don't know what giftings you have or what you're passionate about or, or what stories you have to tell. But let's, let's, let's put them out on a table. Say, all right, God, what is there? Like, what, what is it? Like, what, what do you want to do with all of this right here? Because this is your story. These are the passions that you've given to me. These are the giftings that I have. How can I use this calling to be a disciple and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the incredible love that we live into that dwells in us. Help us, Father, I pray, to be who you have called us to be, but to live off of the love that you have shown us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.